Hey, everybody. Before this episode begins, I just want to let you know that Maria and I will be at RSA Conference 2023. So we will see you in April in San Francisco during the big show. We'll be having a party at FANG the Sunday before. Tickets are available on our website, cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com. And we'll be having a meetup and networking event at the Marriott Marquis on that Monday. So please visit cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com to learn more information about all the things we're doing at RSA Conference 2023 and hope to see you there. Enjoy the episode. Okay, so here's my business idea. Desk fence. Okay. It's a Mm. fence you put around your desk, like around the edges so that when you like inevitably pile more shit onto your desk... (laughs) The rest of your shit doesn't just fall off the sides. <laughs> you could also get like a desk catcher, you know, like a, a net around or something like that. How about you both just clean your desks? <laughs> no. Declutter. How about we attach bungee cords to every item on the desk so that when <laughs> it falls off, it bounces or it hits one of those nets that Luke just mentioned. Uh, I really well, like that. We make desk everything net. magnetic. Magnetic <gasps> could be pretty crazy. Well. One thing's, ruin your sure, <laughs> one thing's for sure, and your, your ICP your ICP for this product is definitely not highly organized people. I know, it's me. I'm the Very ICP. <laughs> Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. And now a word from our sponsor, Hushly. Hushly is the first all-in-one buyer experience and conversion cloud. Hushly takes critical marketing products that need to work together as a single solution and brings them into one unified platform. With Hushly, cybersecurity marketers gain efficiencies, productivity, and scale while offering rich, personalized, and connected digital experiences to their prospects and customers. If you're looking to be more efficient and make account and contact level personalization a core part of your demand generation, ABM, and content marketing efforts, then take a look at Hushly. That's Hushly with no E. H-U-S-H-L-Y.com. And thanks Hushly for sponsoring our party at RSA Conference 2023. See you all there. All right, everybody, it's time for a new episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. I'm one of your hosts, Jana Whitfer, with my wonderful co-host, Maria Velasquez. And today we are so excited because we have an amazing person on this episode that we've been trying to schedule with for like a year. <laughs> we have sure. Luke Tucker. It's I know it's true. <laughs> This is like fact checkable. Anyone can ask you. <laughs> um, yeah, we have receipts. Yeah, we have email receipts. We'll post them in the show notes. So <laughs> we have Luke Tucker. He is the vice president of marketing at a very cool PLG forward startup called Lightspin. And he was also previously the vice president of community at Hacker One and has had other roles in marketing and cyber and has tons of experience. And also, for those of you who are watching the episode on YouTube, has a really cool podcast setup. 
Really cool lighting, <laughs> really cool background, nice camera, much better than Maria and I's, honestly. <laughs> well, thank Thanks you. Thanks for being on. Glad, glad we can make it happen and uh, excited to, to chat with everyone. Yay. All right. So, Luke, what's your take on the market? Ooh. <laughs> the cyber well, market. We were, we were just talking yeah. about it earlier. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think when, there's a guy named Jammin Ball. I, I, I say his name Jammin because it sounds cool. It's probably pronounced differently. J-A-M-I-N. He's, a, he's an investor. He writes something uh, focused on cloud companies and SaaS. So he, he focuses primarily on the public markets for essentially a company like Lightspin of where we want to be someday, right? Like you look at, you know, the public market comps that really drive valuations down to, you know, the earliest stages of, of startup creation. So whether that's the C to series A to B all the way on up, all the letters of the alphabet as, uh, as it goes. And yeah, I mean, the 2021, 2020 years were just awash with capital everywhere. I think there was a lot of it was a great time to be a marketer with budgets that were over the top and probably did not have to focus as much on CAC and LTV. It was all about growth, growth, growth. And that makes sense for if you're an SaaS investor like my, my buddy Jammin. <laughs> I'll keep calling him Jammin because I, I don't know how you actually pronounce his name. It. I need to figure I that out. I think it's Hamin. Hamin. Um, yes. Thank you. As we're, you know, I, now I lost track. Now, now I'm focused on Hamin versus Jammin. But <laughs> Um, <laughs> as, Jam and Hameen. As, He's jamming. Ja, yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah, we get, we are on to something. Uh, maybe he can be a guest and talk about the markets more eloquently than I, obviously. So anyhow, like when I think of the SaaS valuations, the compression of that, the just sheer volume. We, and we were talking about a recent raise that was announced from a company that is a competitor, but an incredible business that uh, we have a lot of Iberatus respect for. And that's Wiz. And Wiz were $300 million at a $10 billion valuation. When I look at that as a comp in the market, it doesn't make any sense at all. Even in the heydays of 2020, that would be like, holy smokes. And this company has raised almost a billion dollars in capital and has one potential option, which is public markets. And there are many, many other startups. That's, that's like up here, right? There's many others that had raised way too much capital. So they talk about this. If you listen to the All In podcast around the the... 99% of venture deals have like preferred payout for the the VCs. So they're going to have preferred stock that's going to pay out one to one. And so if you were an employee at this company that raised hundreds of millions of dollars, if you were not acquired or have an exit for more than the capital raised, everybody's wiped out. Okay. That's Everybody, true. even the founders aren't going to get much. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's a calculus that if you, and many people, you look at the markets, you look at many of our, our, our friends, people we know within the community, uh, have been let go. There's, it's a huge difference from 12 to 18 months ago, where it was so hard, so hard to hire people and get just everything the the interest zero interest rate environment created a very competitive, which was good as a consumer, good as an employee because you can negotiate a much higher salary, you would have more opportunity, and so now I, I think the exciting thing for us as marketers is this is where you get to prove yourself. The next two years of the builders of demand and the builders of brand and what we you know, hold dear as our marketing efforts, you're going to have a feather in your cap to show, I came through this and I'm going to be better based off of it. Here's the pain that we went through. Depending on what level of startup, maybe you're just starting out, or maybe you're at one of those Series C companies that raised half a billion dollars and you're looking around like, we just got let, you know, 40% of my team just got let go. How are we going to move forward? Where's the actual light at the end of the tunnel? And maybe it's more like the 
25 to $50 million range series A companies that raise all that money, you're going to see stuff happening in the next 12 to 18 months because all that cash is getting burned and it's now nine to 12 months of runway and they're going to have to make some hard decisions in the next three months. So I'm cautiously optimistic. I think this is the time when when you can really prove yourself and and you'll look back on it as a defining moment in many of your careers. At least this is, this is what I tell myself, right? Because startups are a lot of ups and downs. This is what I tell my team too, right? It's peaks and troughs. And if you don't real, if you don't celebrate the small wins, you're just going to be depressed all the time. And as Elon Musk says, like building startups is like chewing glass and staring into the abyss. So don't go down a dark hole. Focus on the highlights. Focus on the optimistic aspects. If you're if you're not optimistic in startup building and even in marketing demand, like let's be real. Like as a VP of marketing, this is my first VP of marketing role. Uh, as well. The the shelf life for typical people in my position is not that long, right? 18 months on average, probably. And the business changes so much, right? Maybe you guys talk about that. The business changes so much in what you figured out six months ago, it changes. Mm -hmm. you, You have to reinvent constantly. Yeah. I mean, it it can change like quarter to quarter. You're at the mercy of investor and board member ideas. You're at the mercy of your product team and product roadmap, right? And then you're at the mercy of the market ups and downs, which, as you just mentioned, can hit your budget pretty heavily. So yeah, I agree. But celebrating the small wins needs at least a team that can celebrate with you. (laughs) Celebrating by yourself sometimes (laughs) can be so lonely. (laughs) Well, I think that's why well, we have that's, the cybersecurity kind of the marketing. Of the community. Yeah, that's exactly. Right. The community gets you created it, and channels <laughs> right. around the celebrating, you know, kind of just like, uh, I forget the the name of the channel, just but kind of um, Friday wins or whatever. Like there's, there's just a nice cultural aspect to you have this affinity group that is going th- in the trenches with you and has an empathy that most people you look around the room don't have. And this is the same as well for, for marketing roles and leadership. And, and in whatever level, uh, this also the same for any other position, especially if you're a CEO, that is the loneliest position in the company. True. You know, they're the ones that have to be optimistic every day and have, I heard a quote, the guy, a guy for, he built parts of Uber and DoorDash. And he said, he espoused one of his leadership principles is calm, optimistic leadership. And I thought that was really great, especially in this time period where things can be really kind of scary out there. People are looking at friends getting let go. Am I going to get let go? Are we going to, are we going to succeed? Oh, I didn't hit this number well, or this, this is conversion isn't happening. The pipeline isn't, isn't the coverage ratio we forecasted or need. ASP is down. I mean, what are all these different things that we face quarter in and quarter out? It, it can be a lot. So calm, optimistic leadership. It's a good principle to abide by. And I'm learning that every day. I'm not perfect. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. That's true. So your first VP role, take us through that journey so far, what it's been like. Yeah. Well, my first VP of marketing role, I was, I did leadership roles in marketing at HackerOne and then um, was an executive for the community side, which is originally was part of marketing, but I fought to have it be its kind of standalone unit for various reasons. But yeah, it was, that's what I wanted. I told my old boss, uh, who's the CMO many times over and done it. I joined as a director, focused on content marketing and then expanded my role. And I, he was like, what do you want to do in five years? I was like, I want to be world-class in content marketing in three years. And I want to be you in five years. And I did it. And that was my goal. So I was, you know, it was right around five years and two months or something. 
that I got the opportunity to come to Lightspin. And I was really, you know, I wrote a blog post about this. We can share it maybe in the, in the show notes about why I joined. And HackerOne was my first role in cybersecurity, actually. I, I really didn't have much exposure to this industry before HackerOne, not in a meaningful, like, full-time role. And um, it was kind of just been, you know, follow your curiosity. Like, people are so respectable to me. Like, it's a very technical sell, right? If you do not show up with a hunger to learn and a hunger to understand your where I've gravitated towards and where, where you know, Lightspin has, has an angle is the... Let's focus on the end users. Let's focus on the cloud engineers in this case that are building, breaking, and defending the cloud. And let's give them tools. Let's make their lives better. And I like that because my community background at HackerOne, I know a lot of these you know, people and I can empathize with it. And our approach at Lightspin is more of an offensive approach to cloud security. The most efficient way to secure your cloud is to think like an attacker. That's part of the belief and then build on the graph. That's kind of two key components to our value prop. Uh, or the kind of the core tech behind the value prop, which is we want to serve cloud engineers at every phase of their journey. So my journey personally, when I, I had the experience at HackerOne, when I joined, we raised like $45 million like 30 days later. So it was like off to the races, right? And this was 2017. So I joined November, 2016. And, you know, we raised a series A from NEA, and I think it was Dragoneer in that round, uh, some some great VCs and already and had the backing of benchmark. So it had this like momentum behind it and we were just running, right? The budget, I wasn't a VP at the time, but you know, we were uh, running a lot of events. We were doing that to drive a lot of pipeline. So we did a lot of experimentation there and successfully drove uh, some really quality experiences that kind of grew into where I led down the path to go into the community side because we were doing live hacking events around the world, et cetera. At Lightspin, you know, you come into a 2022 year for this is an earlier stage company. So I wanted to go back to the early stage to build as well. That's why I was like hungry to prove myself, hungry to come back after, you know, there was 400 people at HackerOne. I, we built something special. I was excited about that. I could have been there and been content and had a different path, but I wanted to come back to the chaos, to the early stage, to feel like my work product was going to have an outsized influence on the trajectory of the business at the earliest stages and strategically work with co-founders and a, and a board that believed in marketing. You know, we talk like that's not always the case and it's hard to even vet or validate that going into it. So we had a natural conversation as like, Hey, I'm not the typical VP of marketing hire. I came for, from a different path. And if you're going in this direction and this is where we're strategically aligned, awesome. I'm not the one that's built a demand machine four times over. I know enough to be dangerous, but I'm going to hire team members to work with me and I'm going to work with experts to, to help execute there. But that's not me. So if you want to come in and it's just demand, 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 and well, let's go for it. I'm good at brand. I'm good at community. I'm good at product marketing and content marketing and having kind of a personality behind the brand. That is what I knew what I had. So when I, when you, when you if you're listening and you're a director level or maybe you've, you're a senior director and you want to get your first VP marketing role or whatever that looks like, knowing what your sweet spot is knowing your own personal kind of what, what you can contribute into the marketing org and how you're going to augment your, you know, skill sets that aren't as proven. And I would, I say not as proven because you give yourself more credit than you are right now. Most likely if you're like me, then you kind of like, Oh, well, I, I don't know. I haven't done this like full fledged campaign, like in this channel, it's like, you can figure it out. 
and you can have someone alongside you that can mm-hmm. go with you. Now you have to dive in and I've had to go in more deeper into the demand side of the house and it's been exciting. So if you have this natural curiosity in your work and your life, it'll always reward you. So that's kind of my reflection in the last year and I guess 14 months feels longer because yeah, just, I guess life. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, it's only, I, I joined December, uh, December 15th, 2021 and, uh, rode through 2022. And here we are in February, end of February, 23. So that's an awesome yeah. story. And now a word from our sponsor, Hushly. Hushly is the first all-in-one buyer experience and conversion cloud. Hushly takes critical marketing products that need to work together as a single solution and brings them into one unified platform. With Hushly, cybersecurity marketers gain efficiencies, productivity, and scale while offering rich, personalized, and connected digital experiences to their prospects and customers. If you're looking to be more efficient and make account and contact level personalization a core part of your demand generation, AVM, and content marketing efforts, then take a look at Hushly. That's Hushly with no E. H-U-S-H-L-Y dot com. And thanks Hushly for sponsoring our party at RSA Conference 2023. See you all there. Yeah. And you know what? You don't have to know everything. Like what you just said, Luke, you don't have to know. You can't know anything Uh, like, uh, sorry, you can know anything. Uh, You should know anything. Uh, You can't know everything. It's impossible. You should just go be a one person like super agency or something. If you know absolutely everything about everything, the point of being the leader is to. Especially with AI now too, right? (laughs) 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 You and AI could go be like a super, you know, million dollar year agency yourself probably. Yeah, exactly. Someone's doing that. The leader should know enough to be dangerous in every, this is my opinion. I think the leader should know enough to be dangerous in every single category of marketing. So product marketing, uh, demand gen content, whatever. Mm-hmm. It should be that generalist. But if you're coming up through a specific discipline, like content marketing, like, like it just, if you have headcount, you can augment those things that you're missing. And then you set the direction and lead the team towards the goals. Captain of the ship. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, it really, it's, cliche, but it just comes down to the leadership aspect of organizing people. There's a power is organized effort. And so, you know, as you're achieving your success, as you define it in your personal life, as you define it within your organization, I espouse by objectives and key results. It's just a format, a framework that's worked for me that we we ran at HackerOne effectively, and I've introduced it to the team here. So here's our primary objectives. And these are the, res- this is the evidence of it becoming true. So if these are the key results that we're going to achieve at, that are measurable and have either a timestamp to it, this is how we're going to orient our, our work effort. That is powerful when you're organizing effort towards uh, an objective and a common goal. It's easier, and we can talk maybe about cross-functional execution because it gets more and more important. The more you can achieve as a leader, it really comes into taking your skillful aspects of persuasion that you have as a marketer and just bringing people along and getting stuff done. And that, that's where really the magic unlocks and uh, it gets exciting when, when you're a part of a team that's of multidisciplinary from product or engineering and marketing. Like one of my favorite phrases is engineering is marketing. And we've successfully done that both at HackerOne and at Lightspin a bit where like we have a free tool called recon.cloud. We have open source tools that are out there. This is like requires R&D resources. So it's definitely an alignment. Like it's expensive, not just to create it, but then to maintain it. 
And you know, that that's really where the cross-functional aspect takes you to the next level. And, and you show that if you do that before as a director level, or even a senior manager, you do that before you're kind of, it's part of your job description as like a senior member of the leadership team or, or a VP of marketing or CMO, whatever, do the job before you get the job. And you will immediately see like, oh, that person's getting stuff done. They're able to work with product and engineering. They're able to make an impact in the business in a very measurable like way. And some of the, like, so look for those great projects that are out there within your company that might need a hand raiser. And that can be someone that can come and get it done. If you're not, if like, especially for product marketing and you need the pricing project, man, that's a big one. If you're positioning, that has to come from leadership from an executive level on down, but that takes someone to rally things around. If you bring in an external group, I mean, there's so many different examples. I mean, maybe you guys have some in your own careers to share, but yeah, those are some thoughts around what you should do. Like my own reflection of what got me here. And as I reflect of, you know, what you've got to continue to lean into your own strengths, your leadership capability that continues to need to be developed and augmented. One of the best things I ever did was get a coach oh. to get, help me get out of my own way. So we, you know, happy to talk about that too, or, or. Yeah. Or, let's dive into that. What are some things you worked on with the coach? Yeah. I think the, the primary one is over. It's really just getting out of your own way. I would say <laughs> um, she helped me realize when I really was, you know, my strengths kind of overdone, like I can be very, you know, passionate and persuasive, but when it's over the top, I become domineering and, <laughs> you know, an AOL basically. And I was like fighting for different projects. And it was like, look, you know, take a step back. You have your armor on, like, make sure you're, and she helped me understand different personalities. So we talked through that. Hey, I'm struggling to communicate and get across to this person. Let's diagnose it. You know, well, you know, whether you espouse to Enneagram or others, like, we talk through some of those things. Like this is your, you're this type of kind of, this is how you're wired, whether it's people process or performance. I'm more of a performance driven kind of Enneagram three. And this person is an eight here. And here's how you can help empathize and communicate with them more effectively. Those are like blocking and tackling kind of things that just helped, help me get out of my own way. in some of that aspect and recognize when I was just being defensive or being overbearing and domineering and in like, just, this is how it should be done. Cause I felt super confident. Like, around exactly what the execution was, but I hadn't brought people along with me in some of those ways. Mm -hmm. And because of some of my persuasion and, and aspects, like I was moving it forward and people were following, but there wasn't like a really great team dynamic in some ways. So she helped me kind of sit back and then change things. And that's within a year or so. That's when I got promoted to VP of community at HackerOne. So was able to follow the path of the trajectory of the company, start at director level and work my way up senior director and then VP on the community side. And yeah, it was in large part due to some of the work that, that we did together. I love that. And you're right. I think that transformation is inevitable. A lot of times for us marketers that love working in early stage startups, it's usually one or two people. There isn't this need to have an entire committee around your idea that loves your idea that can push it through from just, you know, on paper to actually seeing it live. But then you either grow the team or join a, a bigger company. And it is kind of like whiplash. It's like, oh, I'm not, it's not just me. Mm -hmm. It's not just my crazy ideas <laughs> going forward. I do need to get internal buy-in. And yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenge. So let's talk about community because community is hot. 
in cybersecurity and in, other, and in other spaces. And I feel like we've built a really great community and we know about community and you know about community, Luke. So tell us, I, I know in our, in our scoping call, you had said that you built a flywheel of community, which is a really interesting turn of phrase. That's what you did for HackerOne. Can you explain? And I also wrote down this note, sexy models, which I don't think refers to Instagram. I think <laughs> it refers to like some sort of like, like flywheel model. Yeah, like a framework. <laughs> Just reading our notes from one year ago. <laughs> it's very confusing. <laughs> yeah. um, so tell us, like, tell us well, yeah, your well, philosophy uh, uh, and the story. I think we can get to yes. that, yeah, the model aspect. Um, <laughs> so flywheel at, at HackerOne. And this, is, this isn't something I can really take credit for, but we, we leaned into it and we're the beneficiaries of it. And so it's a story of when you have early stage investors, someone like a Bill Gurley on your board and oh, they Bill say, Gurley. yeah, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. So this was part of like his giving the air cover for the founders and the leaders to say our competitors are that we're going straight enterprise. Okay. They're going enterprise sales. They had made a bet early on and so they were growing faster. I think they were getting some market share. HackerOne took like a, an approach from pretty much day zero that's like, we want to pay hackers the best. And we're going to give them the best opportunities to make the most money. So that philosophy drove product decisions. It drove uh, community decisions, marketing of it. It led us to some of the, the live hacking event circuit, which is, you know, especially early on, it was really difficult to get customers to like, you know, it was all of it was early adopters, like the hack one model, right? It's like, well, let's have these like randos around the world hack you, right? And that that's like initially, now they're not randos over. That's what part of our pitch is like, well, we understand more about them. Here's all the data we have about them. Here's here's their like CVE. Here's their LinkedIn profile. Here's here's their like results, you know, and, and we have thousands of them and it's growing to millions. Like this is this is the crowdsourcing security model. And it took that kind of like esoteric, how do you take these these problems and connect? And because Bill Gurley is an expert in marketplaces, right? So his his view is like, well, the chicken and egg problem. A lot of, do you go and get the money first for the hackers, or where do you go? Well, like, give them and they get that initial one, and then you give them opportunities to earn, and then the best hackers will will make the most money, and then the the customers want more of the best hackers, and the best hackers then know the best hackers, so they invite their friends, and then it's just this flywheel, right? Like you put this you know inspiration or motivation in front of them because ten years ago, fifteen years ago. Well, more than 15 years ago, unless you were hacking on Mozilla's bug bounty program or early days of like Facebook's bug bounty program, which I don't even know the year they they started. HackerOne started like 12 years ago, uh, 13 now. So 2010. So if it was 2007, you're going to jail if you're trying to even like give them a security vulnerability or you're getting some companies would come at you with the FBI with nasty letters. Fast forward two, three years later, HackerOne's saying, well, these companies are not going to pay you money. So it was just like, from that way for growth, like that's an easy pitch, right? Oh, you're telling me I can make money and I'm not going to jail and I can do what I love. That's pretty cool. Sign me up and I don't have to pay for this. They're just, I'm just going to come here and there's going to be scope that I can go hack on. And now you're going to make it collaborative. So that was the extra flywheel aspect is collaboration. You realize the impact goes up when people collaborate. You realize the stickiness of the hacker's time and attention. Because if you're hacker one, there's other you're fighting for their mind share all the time. They can go hack and, and they would, we would do the stats. We would survey, we would know they're going to hack on bug crowd. They're going to hack on Synac. They're going to hack over here if they're good. We had to 
capture more of their mind share, more of their attention. And some of that aspect came through starting small. So initially it's nose counting. Like John Sakota, the board member, uh, one of the other board members, Hacker One, pulled me aside after one of the first board meetings I presented at. He's like, Luke, this is a labor constrained market. You unlock this, it's all on you in the future. Basically, he was saying, like, you know, nice presentation. Now, you know, don't screw it up. Like, don't, <laughs> don't uh, you know, it's it's all on you. Like, I was like, oh, thanks. That's 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 great. Like every board meeting. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, you know, it was kind of like, yeah, good job. You know, you're still in the honeymoon phase of showing us some interesting data. Now go actually make this happen and make them more engaged. So yeah, that's that's some of the flywheels. And yeah, I would say some sexy models of that framework that you find the main one and then you're going to get an iterative one uh, from there. Now, I think there was a lot of other things we could have done more effectively. We pivoted less of a marketplace to more of a SaaS model. So you're kind of capturing the professional services talent of this community and giving them more opportunities to hack. So we started pen test. So now we're saying, well, you want more stable income because bug bounty is very up and down. You can go months without finding someone and then somebody finds a critical or five of them and they get 50 grand in a month or a hundred grand or whatever. The numbers are getting crazy. There's this feast or famine nature to it. So the best hackers in the world on our platform are making millions plus a year, but the majority of the community, and this comes into the power law distribution on both the positive and the negative side. Reddit did a study on the negative side where they, they I think Stanford looked at Reddit data actually, and they said 76% of the abuse on the platform came from 1% of the community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. On the hacker one side, similar model on the upside and then also on the mediation and other issues. So it's the outliers, these fringes of your community that you have to focus on without ignoring the middle. That's the challenge too, right? Like you're going to have power users within the cybersecurity and marketing society. You you could probably name 10 to 15 of them off the top of your head who have driven tons of value, who are always contributing, yep. engaging. Yep. And then you have others that maybe have been more of a detractor and, and you've had to do different kind of community management aspects. Very um, little of that. Any community at add. scale will have that. Any community at scale. So having early on, moderation and best practices and and onboarding experiences to instill into this is the culture we care about, or this is what you're going to get here. Because the community, I think, is people that show up consistently to do something or to see people or to collaborate together. Like if it's not consistent, then it's not truly a a community endeavor. Yeah. And the get together book by the guys that did creative mornings and a couple other projects. That's a great one that is super, super digestible. And they talk a lot about that. Like community is a group of people that consistently get together over a common cause. Sorry, Wally. Yeah. Luke, yeah, Luke you're, you're so right. passionate about this. Luke is getting emotional for those of you who He's crying. Right now. No. He's sobbing. <laughs> There's tears. It's, his desk is wet. Oh, Luke, <laughs> it's okay. And now he's muted, so he can't even retort because <laughs> he's crying so hard. <laughs> Now, see, I thought I unmuted my mic. Now, yes, I'm I'm all you got me all discombobulated. More more caffeine as well. When you say for you know, for the Hacker Valley One community, when you were talking about, you know, growing the mind share and growing the flywheel of of your when it was still a marketplace, your marketplace versus other marketplaces, uh the do bug bounty stuff. What you know, and you said collaborate. How could folks collaborate? Like what was that? in your platform? Like, how is it different? Because that's interesting, right? It's like, we have, all right, obviously, there's incentives because we pay you, right? We're curating this marketplace of opportunity to make money on this 
previously illicit uh, sort of job role that you have, right? It actually, it reminds me a lot of professional poker, by the way. So we're creating this, mm. but now we're, we're adding in this like collaboration element. What was that? Why did people like it? Like how did it work? Yeah. Well, the collaboration started in the live hacking event. So it took a physical co-location to really collaborate. And that's where you started seeing the explosion of relationships develop where they would continue afterwards and hack together. They would get new ideas they would get inspired. So just putting them in the same room and just like letting things happen without controlling a lot of it. That was where the magic always like kind of struck. We're just like, and getting the security team face to face with the hacker community and to see that interaction and see the empathy over the other side of the table. Like that, you know, face to face, you can't replicate that. We could write blog posts, we could do videos, but when they're able to converse and interact and you see someone that's really genuine on both sides of the equation, it's very easy to abstract yourself in a, in a digital experience to just get upset, you know, and maybe, maybe there was a hacker that there, because of the time zone difference, they're in India or another part of the world and that's 19 hours away. And they're, they're now online at 2am and they're not in their best self and they're responding and English is their second language. And the security team sitting there in America and they're just like, who is this? Like, what is going on? This is stupid. This, whatever. Like, so th- it, when you have those circumstances, which isn't anybody's fault, there's ingredients here. And this, this took a lot of coaching also from uh, what I started passionately latching onto what I coached my team to do and what we had to coach, not just my community team, but like the customer success managers, et cetera, is I would be on a lot of calls calming down executives or security team members at customers to help them understand both sides of this equation. And then then that was that was helpful. But going back to like, where did the collaboration happen? It started in the co-location and the live hacking events. And then it kind of just grew from there because those live hacking events by nature were always going to be exclusive. You, you can't naturally fly a thousand people to a single location. No customer on earth, by the way, can survive a two week period of a thousand hackers going hard on their scope. <laughs> it's, they can barely survive with 20 or 50. So it's, it's this like time and this condensed period of time and attention for these customers. It's really a massive tail as well, typically with a huge amount of influx of vulnerabilities and, and impactful critical ones because of the quality of talent in the room and because the collaboration we would always see would level it up. And so it started there. And then where we continued it, and I think there's some initiatives that we weren't successful in pushing forward, but I was really bullish on and, and hopefully they'll continue to, to pursue them. But it started with just allowing collaboration as bounty sharing and, and reward sharing within the platform itself. So natively, if you collaborate with someone, then add in your collaborator. There's private programs where that becomes more difficult, right? Because well, we have a certain vetting criteria, but you know, how are you managing who they're collaborating with? I want to vet them first. And I'm like, well, hey, like they're naturally going to probably talk to their friends, but they're going to say they're not, you know, like they're not supposed to disclose things, but you're going to actually get more value. And so we had to kind of make a case on those sides. And so it was, it was, you know, baby steps to, to kind of get the adoption, but the live hacking event started where we were just, it was like trying to get blood out of a rock to get these customers to buy into it. Thankful to the early adopters, we were able to build some momentum. And now, you know, people are, are, are not, are waiting in line and, paying a lot. Cause at the beginning it was a subsidy for the community. It came out of my budget to, you know, whatever money we were getting from the customer, we wanted most of it to go to the hackers going back to that first principle. Okay. Don't pay me as the platform provider, pay most of it to the hacker community. And I'm going to now use my VC money. I'm going to use what other other subscription money I have to help subsidize this cost. Cause I believe in the value. 
And that was a long-term investment because as the dollars got big as we scaled, like it becomes more of a conversation with the CFO. And so you have to get your CFO, whether they're new to the company, that was a definitely an alignment too. So collaboration started in person, then we took it to bounty sharing. And then, you know, we started for educational side because we asked them, it's like, what do you, we want, what do you want? Like, what, what, what more can we do? They wanted to further their career in some way, like 85% of them were there to further their career. And that can mean either I want to go live on a beach in Thailand and hack all night, or mm-hmm. I want to go work as a security engineer at a company. Uh, that, that's my path. That's what I want to do. So that's the typical or a pen tester or whatever, whatever the case may be. So we gave them the Hacker 101 platform and capture the flag system. And that, you know, we would down do live hack events around the you know, hacking through CTFs, educational driven. We then expanded to a brand ambassador program where we said we're empowering leaders in communities to get people together in their city. And that's where the collaboration then happens. So if you have the platform capabilities and then we would do specific program invites for them and they're like mini live hacking events without the big Super Bowl of live hacking like, you know, HackerOne does at H1702 in Las Vegas. So that was like a five-year journey though. Right? That, that took a lot of time. That took a lot of learning. But when you go back to first principles where it was the foundation of we're going to reward the hackers as best as we can to give them the most opportunity to earn on our platform. And then we're going to, you know, listen to them and see what, what they want. They want education. They want to further their career. They want to make money. They want to collaborate. They want to meet other like-minded people like them. Mm-hmm. The best part of the live hacking events is what we'd call show and tell. Because these hackers that find these incredible bugs, just like other humans, but more so is like they want to get recognized for their work. A lot of them are very humble. Maybe they're you know not the most like socially forward people, but they're really passionate about what they did. And they find something critical. They're like looking around the room. It's like, their significant other doesn't understand. They're like, I got to share this with someone. Like, no one knows what I just found. Like, what could I can do? Like, it's like this rush. The live hacking event forum gave them this safe space to be able to share. This is how I did it. And this is what I got to do. So you give them the stage. So that's the other aspect in the community. Give your community the stage, give them the spotlight. And the more you do that, the more you provide frameworks for that, the more you get out of the way, I'm telling you, you will just be blown away. That's, that's where the magic really accelerates, in my opinion. Exactly. It's about the, it's not about you. It's about the members of the community. And on that note, before we get into the last part of our show, which is our game, and oh my gosh, this one will be really, really good. On that note, Luke, we're so grateful to have you in the Cybersecurity Marketing Society for being a member in our community for over a year. What would you say to other marketers who are considering joining the society? Would you recommend it? Tell us. Yeah. So I was the beneficiary of another member of the community. And I, I got it from multiple angles. Okay. So I'd never heard about this when I was at HackerOne to, to my own detriment. And maybe it was because you guys started it probably in my later time there. But when I joined, our CEO actually said, hey, I, I heard about the Cybersecurity Marketing Society. You should check it out. And then he connected me with Nathan from Exonius, one of the best you know, incredible givers of his time and, and, and mentors and, and brilliant marketers in our community, not just cybersecurity, I'd, I'd put him up there with uh, some of the best marketers I've ever talked to. He got on call and he's like, dude, just, you got to join. Like you got like that. I, I'll DM me there. I mean, you know, he, he interacted with me. He gave me his time. We were like looking to get into RSA Innovation Sandbox. And, and he not only shared a video that he recorded and did around how they got in, he took time and I'm really appreciative of that. So that alone, to me, is like the best testimonial of I had multiple people telling me about it. And that since I joined, I tell all my team they should be in there because I, you know, we collaborated. So evidence proof point around different events, co-marketing. 
is such a powerful element to it. So we were doing an event that had a big ticket cost. It was a big bet for me as a first year uh, and my first year as a VP of marketing and, you know, six figure plus investment, you know, for us to do an event. And we were able to recruit Potiro and others, uh, Perimeter 81, to co-market with us. And that would not have been possible without the Cybersecurity Marketing Society. So I wish I had more time to spend. I try and reserve like Fridays while I pop in and try and catch up on different channels and chime in if I can add value or, you know, I had multiple, when I posted a job that I was, I was hiring for, I had like three or four people that reached out and I think one or two had applied and, and, um, I don't think we ended up hiring those individuals, but quality talent, it just wasn't the right fit. So yeah, a lot, a lot of value in, and even just giving back while you're going through elements, there's going to be competitors you probably have in there. I think cybersecurity, everybody, like there's a lot that we're doing similarly, but there's so many that are not at all levels of marketing. Um, there's CMOs that are heavily engaged in there. There's uh, PR people that are contributing, you know, their own just sh- sharing strategies. There's the event side, right? A very expensive channel. But when you can come in and be like, hey, what's everybody's experience with this vendor, with this event? It de-risks your investment in a major way. If you haven't been that event before, or if you're looking at companies of a similar size with a similar target market to go after. So can't, can't say enough good things about it. Thank you, Luke. We're so glad you're in it. Well, thank you guys for setting it up. Well, we are just the, the, the vessel. Oh, that sounds so self-aggrandizing. We, we just set it up. <laughs> it wouldn't exist without the people, without the members, without the other folks. If it was just me and Mariana Slack, it would just be like, well, we would talk about weird stuff. So, okay. It would be entertaining. <laughs> I would be entertained. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to play our game now. This is a game that um, Nicole... Hi, Nicole. I, she like listens to every episode. Um, she actually... So she actually did the numbers. And Maria, you and me are tied for last I year know, for I this game. It. So, so let's... Really competitive. So our game is, Luke, we're going to guess what you would be doing if you were not at any of the jobs that you've already had, which, um, as far as I'm aware, includes marketing in cybersecurity and community building in cybersecurity. And um, is there anything else, any other big things we should know? Were you ever like a reporter or like a postal worker? Or I started my career in banking, ironically. So I was a commercial loan underwriter for like first four years of my career. And then started a tiny little startup and then completely failed, but uh, learned a lot from that. And uh, yeah, so that's the main aspect in banking and then kind of different areas of startup investing and community building to your point. Oh, shit. Education. I was going to say a VC. So that's out of the, the out of the game now. Okay. All right, Maria, you want to go first? <laughs> Not necessarily. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go first. I think from what I learned about you today, I think you would, and you probably do have plans to do this if you ever, you know, say goodbye to corporate and do something on your own again, but you would be an executive coach. I think you have, definitely you have the, that, that skill set of persuasion. And I don't know this aura about you that I think you can get into a room and persuade a lot of executives to think the way you want them to think and give them those action items and like five steps to, I don't know. Anyway, so yeah, executive coach or personal coach, whatever in in that realm. I think, Luke, there's like two things I'm thinking. So I'm just going to pick one. I think... You would own, you would be like, um, a, like a public, like a thought leader person, 
like a think tank person, which is, I think, a thing, like a famous Twitter guy, like tech Twitter, like talking about the interesting things that you're seeing in in like strategy for marketing for, for startups. So who am I trying to think? You know, like four-hour work week guy. Like you would write a book and then be like a famous talking person who would get to have really interesting conversations with folks about all these like unique topics that you're super interested in. I think that's a job. I don't know. But when I think yeah. you, well, job, that, job can be, be like, you know, loosely defined, you know, I think yeah. for, for your audience, for sure. So is this, is this now where I respond? Yeah. You tell us which one is more close (laughs) and who wins. Well, I am very impressed by both of your assessments and in a way you're both right. You know, if I, but, but I'll, I'll get to who I think actually gets the edge here in a sec. I told you earlier in our podcast that I told my old boss that I wanted to be VP marketing in five years. Right. So what's my new five-year horizon? And it, I'll answer in two ways. One, I told this to Martin Mikos, CEO of Hacker One, when he had promoted me. I was like, I want to be you in five years. Okay. So, but doesn't mean I want to be Martin Mikos where he's gone and he's he hasn't founded the company, but he's got a, a recipe where he comes in as the as the builder, comes alongside the founders and takes the company to the next level. That I don't think is me. I think both of what you guys touched on, and so my my now like personal, you know, outcomes, I want to be a world renowned speaker and entrepreneur in five years. So you're both kind of right, but honestly, a recent thing that has been a huge thing on my heart or something where I'm like, there's something there is exactly what Maria said. And you were like the fourth person in the last two weeks. What? Okay. I've had, I am doing personal coaching, just like not for, for fee or anything, just with people in my community that some of it randomly came together that, you know, a friend from high school that I knew 15 years ago, you know, 15, 20 years ago, uh, I helped him get a job and get to get out of his own way. In some ways that like, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where they found food. Mm. And um, I definitely see that as something that I could really enjoy and have a great gifting around. So that would probably come with a book thing that I'm actually, you know, writing something right now. So like you guys are so spot on, it blows my mind, but I will give the edge to Maria in this case, because it's just so clairvoyant of the recency. So yeah, yeah. Um, you know, love you, but uh, I gotta, I gotta give it to her. So Maria, (laughs) we're gonna, so does that mean I get a free coaching session? Cause I do want to (laughs) coach. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I'm, I don't have the perfect framework, but it, I can also definitely, you know, chat and refer you to someone that would uh, would be able to do it more long term and full time. So, absolutely, I, I'd encourage everyone to to pursue it or look into it. Love it. Okay, well, that's it for our episode today. This was a, such an amazing conversation, Luke. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your crazy ass busy day to be with us. So much I've learned. I'm pretty sure the listeners are are going to enjoy this one. And yeah, for those of you that are listening to us for the first time, make sure you subscribe and give us five, 10 stars, as many as you can give us on whatever platform you're listening. And a new episode drops every Wednesday. Thank you so much for joining us and see you next time. See you soon. Bye.